Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Well, good evening, folks. It is, well, kind of an unusual time again because we're talking with Australia again. Uh, Dr. Whiteley is with us again. So, uh, you know, it's, well, about 7.05 p.m. here in Orlando, Florida. Uh, it's, what, Thursday morning in Australia, Dr. Wiley, isn't it? Good morning to you, Dave, and all of the uh, listeners on the podcast. Yes, it's uh, just after 9 a.m., and we're ahead of you already. <laughs> well, hey, you you always stay ahead of us, right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, well, since you're always ahead of us, doctor, uh, you know, some people that may have not been here on the podcast uh, before, let's kind of catch everybody up to speed about who you are and why we're talking today. Sure. Well, my name is uh, Greg Whiteley. Um, I um, chair a business that uh, manufactures therapeutic goods, um, uh, my fa- which my family owns. So I've been a, a frequent participant in cleaning industry sector for now for just on 40 years. Uh, my qualifications include originally training as a health and building environmental health officer. I then did a master's degree in Oc Health and Safety, I did a diploma in business and then a PhD looking at how you measure cleanliness in healthcare settings through the University of Western Sydney and I have a, uh, an adjunct fellow appointment through the School of Medicine at Western Sydney University. I also, in Australia, sit on the Australian Dental Association's National Infection Control Committee, and uh, I've sat on the standards committees that cover how you do cleaning and disinfecting for surfaces in the instruments in Australia. So we know a, a fair amount about how to do cleaning, how to do disinfecting, how to do sterilisation, and then how to measure it, which is really important. Well, I think you're going to be on a few more webinars. I catch uh, a glimpse of that every once in a while. You're popping up here, there, and another place uh, on webinars. I think it's uh, August here. Schools are in session in some countries for a few weeks. Some are just getting started. And so everybody is freaking out. What's going on? Oh, it's... yeah. Well, of course, this is a virus. The virus doesn't have its own capacity to think. It just moves from place to place and person to person. And it's having a good old time. Uh, Unfortunately, it's having a good old time at the expense of a lot of humans, who uh, many of whom get very, very sick and some of whom pass away. Um, And and it affects everybody, basically. But, um, of course, the other thing about it, Dave, which is important to point out, is it's only been going for six months. I mean, this is a very new situation. I mean, we've not really seen this since the HIV pandemic back in the 80s. And that that was very different because the transmission risks were so different. Right. Um, It it was a more controlled, more focused uh, 
I hate to say it, but this target, uh, but this virus is much like uh, influenza in the fact that it's really nondescript. It'll it'll grab hold of anybody. Absolutely. Well, it's a respiratory virus. I mean, HIV was, you know, particularly in the first instance, sexually transmitted, but also we know transmitted potentially through blood or blood products. So it affected certain community groups, whereas this is across the, the pantheon of the human specter and, uh, and everyone's affected. So, and, and thus and this look, is a worldwide thing. Oh, totally. One of the uh, one of the interesting things people may or may not this is going to terrify everybody. But and you told me not to scare people too much, but I, this is probably relevant. But um, there was a wonderful paper just published in the last couple of weeks. It's still up on the web um, from uh, a bunch of researchers, including some people at Los Alamos and Sheffield in the UK. It's a it's a collaborative paper, and when this virus first broke out of China. Um, there was one particular genetic presentation variant, which we'll call D614. And it had a transmission rate, which they think was about 1.3. So just don't worry about what that means. Just remember that. I was going to say, what do these numbers mean, doctor? (laughs) Let's not worry about it. It, it It's just low. 1.3 is low. um, But it still managed to get going, you know. But as it's moved, and this is a virus... The reason why this virus is so dangerous is it moves very quickly genetically. It changes like flu. And that's how it can move from species to species, just like influenza virus. Anyway, the first variant, D614, gave way to a couple of new ones. And the one that's now circulating, including in the US, is G614. So G614 has a, a what's called a reproductive number probably up around six. So the first one was 1.3. And the, the, the variant that's now circulating and that dominates infections across most of the world, this G614, has a reproductive number around six. And what that means is it's far more infectious. It's spreading far more quickly. And in the context of going back to schools, and I saw a report even on, I think it was CNN this morning, might have been AOL, where there was one particular school where they already had to shut the school down and send everybody home already. and uh, Yeah, I know one in Atlanta, uh, 900 uh, students and faculty were quarantined in the, in, you know, in the first week. Uh, you know, yeah. So I think that's what everybody's got panicked about. And then you've got football leagues, you've got college football that's oh. closing down, won't be this season. Um, are we... Are we over panicking? Are we doing what we should be? Where are we at? Uh, I think the jury's out, Dave. Look, you, you know, you could almost take a political view on either side of that question. One political side is let's keep the economy going and work towards herd immunity. The trouble is that has a terrible cost for a lot of families and people because it means that you're going to rapidly bring on the spread, which means in terms of the total number, people will be dying. And... Uh, uh, that's one of the risks. The other side of that risk is you, you shut everything down, uh, but then you shut down the economy as well, and then you get things like mental health problems turning up. And certainly in Australia, we've had uh, ongoing issues with um, it bubbling along the virus, and when they shut things down, you have this spike in mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, which one comes worse? I'm not sure that I've got a clear answer for everyone. It's just where we're at. Well, for someone that has spent the last two weeks and still am in and out of doctor's offices, 
uh, I can tell you that, you know, the, 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 the uh, this pandemic isn't the only medical issue that's out there. And um, I, I, Hey, I'm going to be very honest with you folks listening uh, to this podcast. Uh, I just went through quadruple bypass surgery and I am not ready to watch much news because you're, you've been in the hospital, you're fighting something, you're in pain, you're taking medication and you're right. You listen to what's going on and uh, it's very easy to slip into that mental situation of what the heck do I do now? Oh, totally. And, and look, you've been, you, you've been in for the double bunger, Dave. Um, not only do you have the risk of COVID running around, particularly with uh, an uncorrected uh, un, uh, uh, cardiac issue, but then you also have the risk when you go to hospitals of multi-drug resistant organisms and uh, their presence throughout uh, many hospitals. And, uh, and of course, uh, the last thing you want is one of those, you know, MRSAs or one of the worst CPEs getting deep into a, a wound and, you know, particularly a cardiac wound, that would be a, that would be a very bad outcome. Very well, bad and outcome. I, will gar- so I will guarantee We're all you. glad that you're back and well. Uh, we're well, all glad you're, very- you're back and recovering uneventfully. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and, and you are right. You know, uh, I, I, I've got a heart monitor on me right now as we do this podcast. And, uh, you know, I had to go in for this 48-hour monitor. And I'm thinking, man, do I really want to go in here? And you look around and you... <laughs> You, you do look at things differently. I mean, you know, I'm over 60. I've got COPD. If that wasn't bad enough, now you add this and you add the COVID to it. If, in fact, we shut the economy down, you know, I would, I would, be, I, I would be struggling mentally. Yeah, and rightfully so, like most people. Look, the UK, I don't know if you saw this economic, we're not talking about cleaning at the moment, the economic data out of the UK, their second quarter of the calendar year fell in gross domestic product terms. 22%. Their economy shrunk 22% in one quarter. Now, that's, that's the US was even worse, of course. It sunk 32%. But these are big numbers with big oh, yeah. implications. And, and what it does for, for you, your audience and for the whole cleaning sector is it refocuses everybody on something that everyone takes for, advan- uh, you know, takes, uh, for granted. You know, how do we get things clean? Well, there's never been a better time to focus on getting things clean. And that's and, why you uh, and I are talking because that's, that's the flip Absolutely. side of this whole conversation. So as we've just talked about potentially, I guess, the negative side, the positive side for you and I is we now have the opportunity to talk like we always have been and people are listening. Oh, thank you, everyone. <laughs> and to you for facilitating, Dave. I'll give you a little anecdote. New Zealand has been COVID-free for 102 days. So they shut their economy down and really went went after things very aggressively. And it looked like they were doing fabulously. And then just this last few days, a family in South Auckland went to the doctor or one of them with a bit, you know, a bit of a, a flu sort of thing. And it turned up they were COVID positive. They went oh. did the contact tracing through the family. But this is where it becomes interesting for our audience. They don't have any outside contacts that anyone can see. One of the hypotheses that are being looked at is the virus has come in on cardboard because the guy works in an overseas shipping arrangement. Now, that's pretty terrifying. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we know from a paper published in the New England Journal of Med- Medicine in February or March, Van Dorelin et al., 
that we know that this virus does survive on cardboard pretty effectively. And if you've got cardboard, and this was a cold store, so if you've got someone with a virus and they've got it, you're, you're basically freezing it. So they're actively investigating whether this has come in from overseas on cardboard boxes. How terrifying is that? Well, and this this is, as you said, it's a respiratory virus, but for us in the cleaning industry, we have to be vigilant, uh, even more so than we've ever been, to taking care of things the right way. And, you know, cardboard is a soft absorbent surface. And most of us, when we're talking about cleaning and disinfecting, are talking about hard inanimate surfaces. So right. you're talking about cardboard. What are facilities with carpet and upholstery and upholstered chairs? What are they now thinking about? No, oh, great question. And look, we've we've got an active research program that will be hopefully starting in in our, in our spring, uh, looking into some of that. Um, let, let me just make a couple of divisions, though, Dave. Okay, carpet. Carpet is an interesting one. Um, Carpet's probably a very low risk unless you lay on the carpet. Most people don't run their hands across the carpet most of the time. So, you know, the thought that it would get in your hands from carpet is pretty low. Now, that's a different question from, say, vacuum cleaning. And Uh, I know that some colleagues of mine at uh, at Tulsa and Colorado are actively looking at, and also at Yale, are also looking at uh, the recirculation of the virus and what are the conditions uh-huh. to recirculate the virus. That's and exactly where I was particle going. Sizes. Yeah, so they're looking at that. And look, that's a very important point, particularly for those doing carpet cleaning and vacuuming. But then you look at all the other surfaces and the surfaces that we really are focused on, and this is now becoming uh, much more common language in the cleaning sector generally, we're looking at those high-touch objects or high-touch surfaces or high-touch points, the key phrase being high-touch. Because there's, although the virus is primarily spread by droplets and air, there's still substantial evidence that a realistic low risk is that someone touches a surface that's been contaminated. We all touch our face 20 to 40 times an hour, and the virus moves from the contaminated surface onto our fingers, and we scratch our nose or pick our teeth or rub our eyes, and the virus jumps and gets into those uh, uh, mucosal surfaces where it's looking for the receptor cells where it can start the infection cycle again. And and there's no doubt that those issues are really important. But they're high touch points. And that's the thing that I really want to accentuate. We've seen an explosion in people using these fogging devices. So do you think I could go there? Is that going to be okay to go there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're listening to you, doctor. Well, let me make a point about when you do the testing against this virus. When you do the testing against this virus for any disinfectant material, you get the virus, you grow it up in a cell culture, and you culture it up so you've got usually more than a million particles of virus. And then you, what's called, pellet it. That is, you you spin it around in a centrifuge and you get a very small pellet. But you can remember, a very small pellet will have a very large number of viruses in it. And you dry that pellet onto a piece of stainless steel, okay? And then you immerse the pellet into the disinfectant. 
And then after the soaking time, so you do the disinfectant has to be used at the indicated temperature, at the indicated concentration for the indicated time. Then you take it out, you neutralise the disinfectant, and then you see how much virus regrows. And there's a whole bunch of controls, positive and negative, around that testing. The point I'd make is no one in a disinfectant world uses a fogging apparatus. And to get the test method to work with fogging requires a whole new method that no one's developed. So all of these people using fogging devices out there, there is no evidence that supports the label claims. So the disinfectant will work as a, uh, as a liquid soak, but there's no evidence those products are equally efficacious in a fogging context. Okay, so we're talking, you know, and, and I think this is where the industry is using one term to cover a multitude of different devices because you have what what is on some of these devices are different uh, droplet size uh, for the Absolutely product to come right. out. And so yep. fogging, misting, spraying, these are, by my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong this uh, this evening, um, the droplet size is what determines whether it's actually a fog, a mist, or a spray, or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. But let's go the other way around and talk about what okay. happens on a surface and talk about the three factors that you need. All right. You need to have direct contact. Disinfectants don't work like Harry Potter's wand. They have to have direct physical contact. The second thing is they need to have uh, sufficient contact time. Some disinfectants work very quickly. Some take a little bit longer. The disinfectant has to be in contact with the virus for a sufficient time to allow it to work. And the third thing is it needs to be done at the right temperature. And things are starting to cool down there in the US. So that has a, all sorts of things. I'm talking fogging, so I'm talking about the first one, and you're rightfully saying there's a difference with someone who's using, say, a tactical sprayer and is spraying the surfaces so that you've got an even liquid coverage across the surface, which is much more likely to give you that direct physical contact and sufficient time. So that's much um, like what you were talking um, about. You know, if I immersed it into the liquid, then I need to have a sufficient enough spray to get that immersion type of coverage. That's exactly right, Dave. Okay. And, of course, that means you're going to have to wipe it off as well. You know, most of these products will not uh, stay on the surface and not leave a residue of some sort. They, they don't purely evaporate. There's always going to be some residue. So it, it means you've got a process, and we're really talking these high-touch points where you should be cleaning, and you should be cleaning, in, you know, with a wipe first to wipe things, to remove most of the muck. That oh, yeah. means that you can have the direct contact, so the disinfectant's more likely to work, and then you want to remove the disinfectant residue. So the well, process I love, is, I love, is now, now, folks, now, pardon me just a moment. i got to have everybody listen and, <laughs> and pay attention here because you went through that very quickly, but there's one point that I've always made, and you just made it very nonchalantly. You know, you got to clean, then you disinfect. Yep. And, 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 folks, what I want you to hear here. And this is not just from Dave here, you know, Dave's words. The doctor says we need to wipe it away. We need to rinse. And I, I continue to say we haven't completed the job until we've rinsed. Dead right. 
dead wrong. Okay, so I, I just want everybody to get that. There's 100 years on. of evidence in support of that. 100 Good. years of evidence. Good, thank you. So, and, and look, one of the problems with the, the, the you know, I've got photos that uh, I've just clipped off the web of people running through with, you know, fogging. It's just, it makes people feel good, uh -huh. but it actually does nothing. So well, it, it's, it's a complete a waste of money, except for the psychological advantage of it. You know? <laughs> so if you really wanted to take care of your staff, you can probably get a fogging system in and they'll feel really good about things. You know, there's these guys running around, or girls, with PPE and it's all looking very impressive and spacesuit-like, but the reality is it does nothing. And, well, it's uh, just kind of like... If you're going to clean, you clean, then disinfect. Yeah, we said this early on in February, uh, um, Dr. Uh, Daryl Hicks and I, when we did our first COVID presentation at that time, China would, had these great big trucks and they were spraying the streets and the sidewalks and the buildings with disinfectants. We said, that's the worst thing that we could ever do. And you still are having some of that happen. And folks, this is just, it's, as you just said, it's a waste of money and time and effort. And it, it simply makes people feel good, but it's actually causing problems now because now we're having people with, uh, toxic disinfectants that they're now having reverse uh, reactions to. Oh, sure. Look, the whole sustainability position on that sort of stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, you, you, you're wasting the chemistry. You're overexposing people. Um, it actually has nil impact on the virus. Um, and then it washes into the sewers and ends up in the waterways. And uh, some of these disinfectants are biodegradable, but many of them are not. And... Uh, you know, the whole proposition is is absurd, um, but it makes people feel good. It makes people feel that, oh, well, they're doing something. Look at them out there with their spacesuits on. But so the, so the best thing is, is to use, uh, uh, and I know that there's all types of different electrostatic sprayers out there. I'm not actually talking about the electrostatic part of it, but spraying devices that put out a large enough particle, uh, a droplet size, that gives us good coverage is what we're talking about. Oh, sure. Look, when it hits the surface, you then come into a thing called wetting. That has to do with the fact that the water doesn't, or the liquid doesn't just sit as droplets, it spreads out across the surface. Right. Because you can imagine if it sits as droplets, everywhere there's a droplet's got good disinfection, but everywhere between where it hasn't settled out, well, there's nothing happening there. The virus, if it's there, is just sitting there. And, of course, this is why the electrostatic people are saying that their systems work better because uh, it makes the liquid search out those dry spots and get better coverage. But uh, sure. that's different than fogging. Oh, well, yeah. again, there's not a lot of evidence in support of some of the ways that people are doing things, Dave. And, you know, I'm a very strong advocate for measuring the cleanliness outcome after the cleaning process. And I know that's music to your ears. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, you, you, have to, you have to validate your systems. And that means you've got to use a method that's, that's valid, <laughs> you know, to do your measuring. So and, you, you know, it, and, of course, it, the other thing. You know, on. we've got all these schools <laughs> that, are, that, are, that are going out here and starting up right now and everything. And so whatever program that they've adopted, because they've already adopted it, they've already got it, the best thing sure. for them to do is to measure the outcome of what their process is that they have in place, would it not be? Oh, absolutely. But let me make two caveats on that. First thing is you can't measure the virus. You know, you've got no. to measure uh, an indicator of cleanliness. 
So you're not actually measuring the virus. No one can right. do that without spending no. huge amounts of money. And you're right. I won't bore you, bore you senseless with sampling method issues <laughs> and sampling ideology. <laughs> then the statistics that overlay, it's like, oh, kill me. Um, so, you know, that's one caveat. The second caveat is if you're going to use a method, I've obviously got a lot of experience with uh, measuring ATP, rapid ATP testing systems. I'm not aligned with any manufacturer or brand. In fact, I've tested just about most of them. Um, but if you're going to use an ATP system, it has to be used correctly. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of technology even there. The uh, International Sanitary Supply Association, the ISSA, has a pretty good document or a series of documents about measuring ATP that I've been engaged with with other uh, collaborators and we've published some papers. Uh, and ATP, when it's used well, does that well. Um, but, it ha you know, there, there are some shortfalls with ATP in terms of if you get the method wrong. Um, um, so rather, we, we, we could spend a whole day talking about ATP, but I don't think we should today. I and but but what we're saying here, like. what you're saying, though, is, is what I put into all of our programs and we teach in all of our classes here at the academy is there's three steps to this. You know, the cleaning, disinfecting, and rinsing is one step of process. <clears throat> Education is another part of it, but regardless of what you do in both of those, if you don't measure the outcomes, there is no proof that you're having any effect on the environment from a health concern at all. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. That uh, solidifies what we do here at the Academy in our education. Um, I was looking at some of your upcoming uh, webinars and stuff. Uh, MROs, explain. Yep. So MROs, that's uh, multi-resistant organisms. And uh, it used to be about bacteria, bacteria only. But now we have uh, another uh, more recent uh, entry to the field, which is a fungal infection called Candida auris. And these are microorganisms that, as part of their natural evolutionary process, have learned to become resistant to the antimicrobial drugs we use against them. Um, and some of those uh, uh, microbes are incredibly resistant to antibiotics. So if you go back 70 years, um, or, or actually, well, Alexander Fleming, I mean, they first published in 1928, so it's really 92 years ago. Um, you go back 92 years and... Uh, you know, it was a miracle situation with antibiotics. I mean, you, you know, things that used to kill people, a, a simple dose with an antibiotic, and uh, they recovered uneventfully within a couple of days. They went from near death to full recovery. And, and in fact, uh, uh, the, one of the first people to whom uh, the antibiotics were ever given was a young lady who was dying of a pneumonia, um, and she was given antibiotics and a miraculous recovery, and she lived herself into her 90s. And... Um, the bacteria in that time and more recently the fungi in that time have now evolved and, uh, and we're going to get into that dreadful term of biofilm, Dave. And one of the things they do is they talk to each other and they talk to each other both by direct physical contact as well as via things that are described as biofilms. And work that we've published internationally has shown that these multi-drug resistant organisms do live in surfaces in biofilms 
on frequently touched surfaces. Um, and those surfaces are, you know, around everywhere, but they're particularly of concern in hospitals. And that's where we're really worried with the MROs. So MRO means multi-resistant organism. So you mentioned biofilms. So without getting too technical, doctor, let's talk to the audience about biofilms because I, I have a I have a place I want to go with this here if if we go there. Sure. But let's not get sure. too deep on this. No, I can do it really, really at a very calm level. Okay. Just think of it as this: we used to think that well. When I did my original undergraduate microbiology as a 18, 20-year-old way back in the dark ages, Moses was still teaching at that stage. <laughs> um, um, we used to grow the bat bugs in a, a lovely um, um, test tube, in a broth. It was like sending them on vacation to the Bahamas. I mean, it was warm, there's lots of food, there's plenty of breeding going on. They just had a lovely old time. <laughs> what we now know is that in fact, if you really want to make them hum and sing, you treat them a bit rough and train them up and teach them to do things. So we used to think, using these old methods, that the bacteria weren't uh, other than transient across the surface. They were like transient tramps that moved through. They happened to be there and sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. What we now know is that, in fact, bacteria, when they bind onto a surface in fact, start to build themselves a little home. They build themselves a comfy little spot to live. They, they do all sorts of stuff, which we won't get too technical about, that creates this place for them to live. And when they start that process, all their friends come and join them. And everyone recognises that there's a house party going on and they all get in for the game. And that's a biofilm. And so the biofilm is they've moved from transient to resident. How about that? Is that okay? All right, okay. They're, they're, they're not just passing through, they've set up housekeeping and they're there for the long haul, absolutely. And you know, if you want to get rid of them, they're like trying to get rid of the, <laughs> the squatters in the, in the rental property. You know, you really need to get in and get and, rid of them. And I think this is the point that we want to make, audience, that you know, that Dr. and I are trying to make this evening is that. This is not a simply spray on and let a chemical sit on it. There has to be physical action. I have a saying that I always teach in all my classes. There are two basic principles of all cleaning. It's pH and physical removal. And without both, we can't do the job correctly. And I think this is kind of what we're talking about here. The pH by itself, whatever that liquid is that you're spraying on the surface, isn't going to break through the biofilm, uh, run the, the tenants out of the building. They've, they've hunkered down. They're going to stay there. We have to do the physical removal, and we're going to use the two in conjunction. Or am I off base? Well, you, how about I say you're two-thirds right? Is that okay? Okay, well, the, I, I, I'll, I'll go for that. that. <laughs> I'll go for that. I'll go for that. Well, so tell me what my other third is. Well, pH is certainly an issue because uh, um, um, most of these bugs don't like extreme pHs, either acid or alkaline. Most of them, and if you think about the food industry, they use a thing called clean in place, which is a, a pH shock system. They wash through with a high alkaline, then they neutralise it with a strong acid, and then they rewash it to neutralise it. You can't do that on most surfaces. Right. So pH is one issue. 
physical activity, and I'm going to come back to some published data we published just last year on that, is an issue. The third thing is the chemistry involved turns out to have other factors that have to do with what we'll call surface activity. So I think if you added as your third element there, surface activity, you'd be in a really good place, Dave. All right. And we've published this as well. So we published a paper in 2018 in the Journal of Hospital Infection, which is an international journal, that showed that you had to have the right combination of surface activity on top of those other factors to break through the biofilms. And um, there's a bit of methodological stuff about there. We don't want to bore everyone senseless. But let me come back to the issue of wiping, which is absolutely right. So we published a paper last year, also in the Journal of Hospital Infection, um, um, where we took some bugs and we turned them into what's called a dry surface biofilm, and there's a bit of method around that. I won't bore you with that. But you get this dry surface biofilm, and we tested cleaning that versus cleaning a standard culture of the same bug, which you just got the culture and dried it onto the same surface. And what we found was... If you dried that same culture onto a surface and then cleaned it with a, a normal level of abrasion, and we used a particular scrub tester so that we controlled for weight and speed and the amount of you know action and so right. forth, so we controlled those factors. Um, um, so we did that, um, and then um, we tested against the biofilm. Well, what we found, the first part of the result was that we found that the simple act of wiping removed 99.9% of a common non-resident, so a transient bacterial species. So that's pretty good. Just a simple one wipe will give you your 99.9% .9 as long as it's a controlled wipe. I'll come back to that in a sec. But if you've got a biofilm, after 50 wipes, you still only got to 90%. So there's still more than 10% left after 50 wipes. Wow. So the other thing that is becoming uh, important is how you do the wiping turns out to be important. Now, most people, when they wipe, it's like watching someone mix a cake bowl. It goes round and round and round. <laughs> or, or, or they go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And, of course, anyone that's ever cleaned a window will know if you're using a squeegee rubber, you absolutely need to... Um, to go in the one direction, one yep. uniform action in one direction, you know, in that yep. classic S shape, so it all moves. If you go backwards and forwards, the first move moves it off and the second move pushes it all back right. because the things you've collected on the front side of the squeegee blade get redeposited as the squeegee blade moves back, and it's exactly the same with microfiber. It's exactly the same with disposable cloth. It's exactly the same with uh, single-use detergent wipes or single-use disinfectant wipes. So how you wipe is actually incredibly important. I should send that paper to you, Dave, because that would probably be helpful for your, for your academy and part of your training. I'm pretty sure we put it up on open access. But oh, so then you're probably you're, you're, so you can use that. You're going to probably like one of the things I do then. Oh, what's that? Well, because what I do is one of my preferred ways, and I mean, you know, there's all kinds of ways. We all talk about it, you know, and I'm like, I'm like I use a pump-up sprayer that gives me a coarse spray uh, that I can get yeah. a lot of solution onto the surface. I spray it on there 
and I wipe it off with a microfiber. And that's my cleaning step. And I use a neutral cleaner to do that, to just clean the surface. And then I use a pump-up sprayer and spray the disinfectant on the surface. Let it sit for its dwelled contact time that's required. And then I apply rinse water to it and I squeegee it off. Oh, you, you, are, you are the gold standard, Dave. Gold standard. I'd like to see you do it on a cloth chair, though. Well, but this is, the, this is the point, and this is the point that I said about the carpet and the cardboard and these things. Yep. We can do this for hard, inanimate surfaces, uh, but when we get to the soft surfaces, that's a conversation you and I need to have on another podcast because uh, I oh, think we've totally. probably taken our time for today on this one, but I, th I think that's the, the point that we want to make, folks, is, you know, I know that people are going back to school right now. I know that they're all concerned, but folks what the doctor and I are saying this evening or this morning there in Australia is a simple wiping with a disinfectant wipe is not sufficient. That's right. That's exactly right. You've got, uh, and, and look, this is a virus that spreads by touch as well as by aerosol droplets. It will be on highly touched surfaces where there's been an infected person. And those surfaces need to be cleaned. Go back to Mike Berry. His first principle is cleaning is the process of removal. There you are. That says it all. Mike Berry. Well, Doctor, it's been a good to talk with you again. Uh, I have to tell you, I've uh, probably pushed my limits of what uh, I'm capable of this evening. Uh, I hate to cut it short, but I kind of feel my body telling me that push it enough. Time to hit the sack. Absolutely. And listen, I'll look forward to next time. Hopefully next time we might have some data to talk about with particularly the soft surfaces. We're really keen to get that going. We've got a preliminary set of studies about to start at one university and then we've got a big research grant going at another university. I'd love to talk to you about that when we start to get some preliminary results. Well, I do too, because I think that there's this big uh, misconception about just any vacuum, use a vacuum and vacuum the floor and everything. And I'm like, the carpet has got so much in it, and it just disturbs me terribly. Uh, let's, before we leave, let's tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about uh, all of these numbers that you kept spitting out this evening. <laughs> I'd be happy to do that, Dave. Anyone that wants to contact me can contact me through your channel. Um, you've got my email addresses. Um, probably the easiest one is g.whiteley. W-H-I-T-E-L-E-Y at Western Sydney, all one word, dot E-D-U dot A-U. And that's my Western Sydney address. And I'll have that in the show notes, uh, folks, uh, if you uh, want to get that from our show notes. Uh, uh, doctor, I appreciate your time this morning there in uh, Australia. Uh, you're going to yep. be on some webinars yet this week. So, folks, uh, uh, we'll try to get this out uh, here for Thursday and uh, the U.S. for your listening pleasure and uh, catch Dr. Whiteley at one of his webinars that he's doing on many of these subjects. Love to love to talk some more, Dave. Get well, mate. Get well. <laughs> I'm working. I'm working on it very hard, my friend. <laughs> okay. Be safe. Be safe, everyone. Thanks, Dave. folks. Thanks for listening to us this evening, and uh, whatever you do, make sure that it's healthy, positive, and proactive. 
like and follow us on all of our channels here on the podcast on Podbean Live. We've got our YouTube videos. If you need to get some more information about what we do, go to www.academyofcleaning.com. You'll find all of our classes. I'm not doing the live classes right now, as you can imagine, uh, but uh, we're going to start trying to schedule those for September. Hopefully, we'll be seeing you soon. Talk to you all later. Look forward to it. Thanks, Dave. Bye for now. Bye.